I guess we'll do it that way. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Beautiful day in the neighborhood. I walked outside this morning and um, in between, so there's me, there's this old lady who lives next to me who's really nice. And then mm -hmm. there's a young couple that has like friends and stuff over frequently. They do, what, they do sketchy things? No, not at all. They just have like, you know, dinner get togethers and stuff. Mm -hmm. They're like, because we used to have a drug house next door uh -huh. and they had quote unquote friends come right. over like all hours of the day and stay for, you know, an hour or so. Oh, sure. <laughs> Yeah. Exchange, <laughs> exchange a little money and leave. No, this is like families. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Got it. I play the drums and like, I'm pretty courteous. Like I play maybe for an hour at the most and I use soft sticks. And, mm. um, I have said to my neighbor before, like, I hope the drums don't bother you because the kids play sometimes, you know? And uh, she said something like, well, you know, it can't be as bad as my dog's barking, but I just realized, <laughs> which is not the exact response you want, but the person next to her on the other side also plays the drums. It turns out, or just got a drum set and is just over there wailing. So I feel both worse for her, but also slightly better about my own situation. Maybe you should put your drums in your creepy basement. Yeah, true. I thought about it. But also, I actually think the response can't be worse than my dog's barking is exactly the response you want. Because she has her own issues that she knows annoys you. Right. Which means you're comrades and you're annoying. I guess. Yeah, I guess so. The dogs aren't annoying, so I took it in that spirit. That's what I'm saying. If you don't actually think the dogs are annoying, then she probably doesn't actually think the drums are annoying. We're all good. <clears throat> or the or she thinks both are really annoying. Mm, um, well, then she better put her dogs down. Time to move. Amen. What's going on, Mr. Dude? Um, what is going on? Well, screen the movie on Sunday mm -hmm. uh, for a, just a small audience of a few thousand <laughs> and the uh the verdict is in john the verdict is in and what is the verdict i'm scrapping it i'm scrapping the whole movie i'm starting over i'm gonna shoot the whole thing again <laughs> you're gonna make that cats documentary mm -hmm. yep the cats documentary has been long awaited and uh no one wants to see rollish no it was really good um once again how many people came Mm, there's only like six of us. I, I there's only two people who hadn't seen the movie before. Six okay. others than me. No, maybe eight other than me. I can't remember. Uh, it was a small group, and most people had seen it before. Um, you know, it's funny because it was um not the most well. None of these screenings have been particularly satisfying, mm -hmm. if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, it was a very productive screening. It's just hard, man, because every damn time I screen this movie, I get completely different feedback. And that is because, as Bryce pointed out, because I'm actually listening to the feedback and I'm actually solving the problems that come up. Mm -hmm. And that's great. But I'm also like, geez, Louise, you know, like, can't can't we all just stop believing that this thing can get better and just let it be mediocre. Um, <laughs> Don't say that. I know. No, everyone, everyone was very encouraging. And again, it was, it was, it was a completely different set of feedback. Um, and I agreed with all of it. Um, okay. I gotta again. ask you, I gotta, yeah. I gotta stop you here. Cause the, there's a meta story to all of this. And in fact, we're mm -hmm. recording right now because I, not, not, I don't want to say I didn't want to, but I, didn't want to release part one of the roller stars. We talked about it last night. And part of the reason I didn't want to do it is I asked you questions. I listened back, you know, to the early, early days and kind of some of the shit that we're talking about was heavy, man. And mm. you said in some of those things, the worst case scenario for this is if I make something mediocre. Mm -hmm. And how do you contrast that? How do you reconcile that with what you just said? Oh, I was just kidding just now. I mean, that's just, how I reconcile it. You were just kidding, but you also, I feel like there is not a grain of truth in that, but you're, you're making the hard choices now. So like, I'm, yeah, you go right, from right, right. super optimistic because well, there's nothing on the page yet. And then you, it gets narrowed down to 
actual realities like you can only get x person in the movie we talked about all of this stuff you can Mm -hmm. only get you only have x budget for certain amount of days you have Mm -hmm. x budget which might be zero for reshoots so it's like at some point you're going to have something that is less than pristine just Mm -hmm. because of the realities of the and the mode and the way in which you're working right so now you show this to people and like my response would want to be everybody standing up and giving me an ovation at the end when those Mm. lights go (laughs) when the lights go out and anything less than that would be like a stab in the heart yeah that's accurate so i i feel that just i know anytime even i put out one of these right right and i play any part of it for somebody like you want their response to just be uncritical like right at least at first Uh uh-huh you know Right. No, I feel that, dude. I feel that. Um, I feel, man, it's tough. You know, this is, John, this is where it comes down to, you know, I told Kelly after the screening, I said, look, I don't know that everyone realizes how lonely it is to be a professional filmmaker. Mm -hmm. Um, And I say professional purely because, yeah, I'm not, I'm not in this to get a pat on the back, you know, Um, I'm in it to win it, baby. True. And, uh, That's true. But you and, also want that any criticism is so painful. It Not is. You, and it's, and it, yeah, dude, it's painful. It's it, here's why it's painful. It's partly painful because it's painful, man, because it, it's not even the criticism, you know, like I just need a hug sometimes. Right. You know, I just want somebody to I just want somebody to come up and, and hug me and say, dude, you shot the fuck out of that movie. Right. And um, that doesn't happen much. No. Ever. They're, well, they're dissecting, and, and they're supposed to. No, and, and that's the thing is, is I, now, would I, would I love to get both? Yeah. But the, the brutal reality is there's not really time um, mm-hmm. for that. Uh, right. I only get these smart people with their smart reactions for a very s- short period of time and I got to make the most of it. And every minute that I spend asking for praise is uh, a minute that's not spent making the movie better. And my hope is that the, the longer I'm going to get a little crude here, John, Uh-oh. you all right with that? <laughs> yeah, baby. Bring us back to episode three. Well, it's, uh, it's a little like sex. Oh, 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 baby. Hold on. Let me make sure my kids aren't in the room. All right. Yeah, you're exactly. Good. Um, no, it's a little like sex. You don't want to blow your wad too early. Whoa. You know, like just to be very frank, um, y- you got to build up. You got to be patient. Mm. You got to put in some work. Mm. And uh, man, the, 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 the longer you can stick with it, the better, you know? And, um, mm. I don't know how much further I want to take that I metaphor, was waiting, but I was waiting. <laughs> but here's the deal, dude. It's um, I am not. Fr- I've already said a lot of things. Let me say, my dad always says, uh, "Let me start from the beginning." No, at, at 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 any at any sort of function, family function, whatever, he he comes up to whoever sort of the guest of honor is, and he says, "Let me be the first to, mm. <laughs> to congratulate you," and he's usually like the seventy seventh right, person, right. you know. And uh, it's a funny joke. It's a dad joke. Yep. It's funny, though. Classic dad joke. Um, And it always gets a rise out of people. So, you know, here's the deal, though. Um, Oh, man. I, you know, I want a hug from all the people that I respect. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I I want them to be like, dude, you're doing great. You know, and, and people have said that. You know, I get really nice feedback from people like you and Bryce and Elizabeth right. and my dad and other people that I trust and respect and Josh, you know, Josh shredded me um, and then wrote a really nice note afterwards and was like, dude, you made and, and as did Bryce, you know, it's it's and those things mean a lot and they mean a lot partly when they're earned, you know, yeah. and um, this is uh, this is the part of the process. I, I think I hit this part. I, I hit this phase in the script. I hit this phase in pre-production mm. I hit this phase during production and now I'm hitting it in post. Yep. I am 
very much now at the point where I can choose to go to the next level mm-hmm. or I can finish. Yeah. And the next level is going to be the hardest. The gains that I make will be the smallest. The time that I spend alone in my fucking house will be the loneliest. Mm. But that is the part of the process that separates the ladies from the babies, you know? Mm. Ladies, the one you want to be in this scenario. Exactly. The men from the boys. Gotcha, gotcha. The pros from the amateurs. Mm. You got to want it, man. And I want it. I I really fucking want it. And I don't want it anymore because I, I texted you this last night. You mm-hmm. know, I've I've had a lot of life stuff going on that I'm not gonna get into, but it's been a it's been a crazy week aside from rollers. I'm at this stage a lot in my personal life, you know, where I am making a lot of sacrifices mm. to evolve emotionally and spiritually and physically. Mm. And professionally, if you throw rollers in. I'm making some pretty painful sacrifices to stick with the work and um i don't mean the story but do you see the process of rollers as a life analogy in in the sense that you've got maybe all these good parts about you all this good stuff going on and now you have to do the painful work of looking at this thing really objectively looking at your life really objectively and excising stuff that needs to be cut out and maybe adding some stuff that wasn't there before or whatever the process is it's like it is sort of a life analogy and you're going through even on this podcast to some extent like i did not start this out with some i mean we joked and whatnot but like i hit you with a tough question you know and it's like you're getting a lot of that dude i listened to that feedback session and um you know, it wasn't like devastating, but I was listening to some of those critiques and I was like, oh man, like it's, I cannot imagine being in that room. And that's another thing I wanted to say. You not that you were getting eviscerated. You weren't, I just mean having anybody criticize your stuff is so right. hard. It's painful, man. Cause I know that you spent a million hours working on titles, for instance. So then when somebody in four seconds is like, I don't know if that worked for me. It's like, dude, <laughs> I just spent 20 right. hours alone working on this. And I know you did. And I don't even know if that was the actual feedback. I'm just saying as a, for instance, now you're having the the microscope pointed at you, the bright lights pointed at you and just getting torn apart. And it's like, what do you do? Yep. Well, you know, we talked about this on a phone call yesterday, you and I did, mm-hmm. um, or Monday mm-hmm. in Elizabeth. Um, I, I think that there is a... Well, well, I have a lot. I have uh, I have a lot of thoughts about this. I think there's an art to um, to feedback sessions. Right. Um, I think that it is very similar in a way to sort of a philosophical sort of Socratic dialogue, in which my job as the person leading the feedback session and and part of part of why this is so damn lonely, you know, I sent this to Bryce in an email is is because I did. You you have pointed this out in in hilarious ways. I did sign up, right, to be the writer, producer, director, and editor of this thing right. out of necessity because I wanted more money on the screen. Right. Um, I don't prefer it this way, but I chose it. Right. I can't blame anybody for that, and I don't have any regrets. Um, that said, I am at this point, for better or worse the only person who is legally and creatively responsible for making this movie. Yeah. There's literally only one of me. Right. And I don't say that in an arrogant way. I say it in like a, a, a man, it w- sure would be nice. Like climbing Everest alone is a little different, <laughs> right. you know? And, and at this point, like I have you guys, like I have this amazing p- team of people around sure. me who are encouraging me and pushing me. But at the end of the day, you know, there is a little bit of a, there is a, a, a bit of truth to the idea that like this is, this burden kind of started with me and it kind of has to finish right. with me. And everyone is contributing, everyone is throwing themselves into it in a major way that is incredibly 
powerful and self-sacrificial, but at the end of the day, I can't hand it off right. to anybody. You know, I can't let anyone else finish this. And it's not because I don't want to, it's just because right. I can't. But that also leads to something that we talked about. I noticed in the early in the podcast, which is that all praise and all responsibility then falls on your shoulders, which is huge, right. you know, because. Right. Yeah, no, it, it, yeah, it'll feel incredible to finish this right. thing, you know, like it's going to feel amazing regardless of how it's received, right. you know. Um, but I don't know that it'll feel good enough for me to be like, and that's why I always do everything myself. <laughs> yeah. It's more of a caution. Cause you know. damn, I'd rather, I'd rather like be in that feedback session and then go home with my editor mm -hmm. or with, with a producer and, and for us to be like, wow, that was brutal for us. Right, exactly. Not. That was brutal for you, and I'm here for right. you. That was brutal for right. us. There is a big difference between those oh, two yeah. things, and it has been a lot of uh, by uh, by just sheer reality of how this shakes out. It has been a lot of incredibly great, incredibly supportive, sure. wonderful people saying, "Man, that must be brutal for you." And I'm like, "Yep," mm. you know, like it is. And yet I'm not asking for sympathy because I can, again, I am also the only one who is pushing myself this right. hard. So I can't blame anybody else. I'm thankful for the fact that other people are pushing me this hard. I'm asking mm -hmm. them to. I'm bugging people to be like, will you watch the movie for a fifth time? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, because I need their feedback. Right. And, um, and I'm not interested in, as we've said, the mediocre version of this, especially at this point. More than ever, I am committed to this movie being as good as it possibly can be because I'm no longer afraid of it being bad. You and I recorded an element for this, um, for the movie. You want to mm -hmm. explain that real quick for us? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so... Well, I'm ex I'm doing a lot of experimenting with um, how to continue to evolve the movie, and there's a certain component that that you and I kind of came up with, um, which I will describe as a radio segment. Mm. Um, this is a movie about music, and as I was kind of pointing out, you know, it, it, it's a very recent development that it was possible to listen to music while doing something else right. and, and sort of have like a playlist that just goes, you know, like, yeah, you can throw a tape in or whatever, but at the end of the day, like this whole concept of just letting music go, the only place that really existed was on the uh -huh. radio. And so I think the radio, not surprisingly still has a gigantic impact on the history of music mm -hmm. and it's still, and it will continue to. And so I felt like, you know, this, we, we need another element. We need another thing. We've talked about that um, to take this thing to the next mm -hmm. level. And uh, and you and I kind of experimented with this concept of, of creating a radio show. Our, uh, our names, if anyone's curious, our DJ names. Well, I don't want to get too much into it. We'll save that okay, for another all right. time. But this element, um, how was it received? Because I listened to some of the feedback in the session. It, and I, it was the first time, honestly, I felt maybe a twinge of what you felt when just them talking about it and them not being like, Oh, it was great. Well, that's, Oh, that's I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, it's funny that you say that John, because I think I'm so conditioned to just being broadsided <laughs> that I left that meeting thinking, Oh man, they fucking love the radio segment. Um, I don't think they, because it didn't come up. Yeah. Well, I listened to it. They actually did talk about it briefly. And I was like, just them mentioning something that you and I did, just the fact that my voice is in there, it made mm -hmm. me so nervous. Like, what are they going to say? Mm -hmm. I feel I'm so anxious. Mm -hmm. Like, if they're like, this sounded ridiculous, you guys sound like idiots. <laughs> mm -hmm. Which, to be clear, the people in that room would not have been afraid no, they to wouldn't say have. that. And I mean, somebody did say something critical of it. Like, I don't totally understand why that's there or something like that. And right. I just felt well. I think it was specifically the copy that we wrote, right, right. Um, which was very much temp. But still, I mean, 
it felt like somebody stabbed me in my gut when I heard that just because I was involved with it. And it wasn't even that critical. It was just like the, the idea of somebody is going right. to take me to task or whatever. And I felt in that moment a shred, a tiny shred of what you must feel in those stupid things. <laughs> well, one of, one of the guys that was there, Mike, one of the two guys that hadn't seen mm-hmm. it before, he's he's uh, our publicist. Mm-hmm. Um, he was there. He's a great dude. He loved it. You know, he had mm-hmm. some great he had some great critical feedback, but he really mm-hmm. liked it. It was funny because you know he put it very bluntly afterwards. He's like, "Man, yeah, like you like you've been saying. He's like, it must be tough to just sit there and let everybody shit all over your right. project for <laughs> right. an hour. And and it's not really that much of an exaggeration because here's the thing. Part of what I have to remind myself in those of in those moments is that and and you've talked about this in in certain forms as well. People don't shit all over things that suck. Mm. Assholes do that. Trolls do it. But the people that I'm gathering together, they trust mm. me. Trust me. I have been, I know Bryce well. I know Josh Losey well. I know these people well. I have been in screenings of finished mm. films at festivals, at other things, uh, where. You know, I've been in conversations with 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 those guys and filmmakers, not me, other mm-hmm. filmmakers who have made what I will, for better or worse, call mediocre sure. films. Um, and they they know how to be polite. You know, like we've said, like I know how to say to someone, "Great effort," mm-hmm. you know, "Great attempt," "Great," I enjoyed it, which is not necessarily a lie. We all are, again, that's part of being a professional is knowing when it's appropriate to be harsh mm. and when it's being invited and when it's time to just be like, there's nothing they can do about it now and they're not asking for your right. feedback. So what the F is the point of shredding? Right. Because we don't always succeed, you know? And, um, and, and my point with all of that is I know that those guys know how to be nice. I know that they know how to be encouraging. And so I have to remind myself that them holding back is actually scarier than them letting me have it Mm. because if they're holding back that's when i said that at the very first screening i said i am more afraid that i will leave this meeting without your actual opinions than i am that i'll leave this meeting depressed because of how much Mm -hmm. you hate it i have to remind myself of that constantly because that is the only way i can trust that what isn't being discussed is working Mm. because again, we don't have eight hours to dissect the entire movie. Um, And so we have to be efficient. We have to do triage and basically say, good job. Now let's get to work. I've worked in the corporate world before and you, you get these like quarterly reviews, you know? So you go with your manager Mm -hmm. and you like go to the cafeteria, whatever the atrium and you sit there and they go through like quantitative, qualitative assessment of you. And it's usually just you and him or her. And they just break everything down. Here's what you've done well. Here's what you've done terrible. Yep. And <laughs> it's the worst. It is the absolute worst. Yeah. Even just doing that one-on-one. I mean, even if you did fine, they still, just because of the methodology, you have to be critical about something. So like, oh, you didn't answer your phone fast enough. Whatever it is. Then imagine mm-hmm. doing that on a stage in front of the entire company. I feel like that's what you're going mm. through. Every time you show this, you're getting like an, an assessment, a public assessment in front of people that you like, that you respect. And it's, it's just right. that aspect of it is so well, tough. And, and then one person kind of, pa- yeah, you're right. And, and one person kind of passingly mentions one thing and then somebody's like, yeah, right. that, that doesn't make any sense. You're like, oh, geez. yeah, he's not good at that. Oh, Right, exactly. Yeah. They all start glomming on um, or whatever. It's yeah, it would be exactly totally terrible. It's insane. But again, that is I am so grateful. I am utterly grateful that I have people in my life that care enough to do mm-hmm. that because it takes time, it takes work, it takes emotional and mental energy and they don't have to. And um and I cannot make this movie as good as it needs to be alone. Again, I have to bear the burden of sort of pushing it forward, but I can't choose the path mm-hmm. alone. And um, and I'm just thankful that I can trust those people and 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 that ultimately they they want the best for me and 
and again, there's a certain amount of respect that comes from not needing to be right, I think is a big thing. You know, I mentioned that feedback is an art and I think leading the feedback session is almost more of an art than giving the feedback because, you know, we, we discussed this after the meeting and I, and I said to, to you and Elizabeth that to me, one of the core values of, of mama bear and, and what I think is a very important guiding principle of, of a feedback session is the, the concept of intentional communication. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by intentional communication is it's not just honesty. It's not just sort of truth telling. It is going out of your way to communicate what is actually going right. on and to go out of your way to communicate even when it is painful mm. to you. And I think that part of that is, is for me as the feedback recipient, what intentional communication looks like is knowing when it is and is not appropriate to quote unquote defend mm -hmm. yourself. There are always reasons for things to be a certain way. I'm not an idiot. Right. You know, I don't make decisions accidentally. I'm a very um, careful filmmaker. Um, I've been making decisions carefully since the beginning. And so there aren't scenes in the movie that are just mm. wasted. There aren't moments in the movie that I'm just like, well, whatever, what the fuck? Might as well throw that mm. in there. I don't do that. And so there's always part of me when somebody's like, I don't get why that's there. I want to litigate it. Right. Like we've said, I've said this before. I want to litigate it. I want to say, well, let me point exactly. Let me trace this back for you. You don't get to do that with audiences. Right. You don't get to do that with audiences. So the, even more importantly, they didn't come to that thing for me to litigate right. their feedback. That's a great way to get people to shut the hell up and not tell you what yep. they really think. And so I think there's a tendency. I've seen it a lot. Especially, I think it comes across as very amateur. Um, but I think there's a, a tendency for a lot of people who are insecure to defend mm -hmm. themselves because they feel like it's weak to take a beating. Mm. And I am very much of the philosophy that the longer I can take the beating, the more people respect me and the more valuable the data that I get will be. And because it's so easy, it's so easy to, for someone to say, what if he did this? That requires, I just want to point out that in and of itself requires vulnerability on their part because they're throwing out an idea that is fresh. It is untested. Mm. They don't know the material as well as I do. That requires vulnerability on their part to say, what if you tried this? That's a gift. And to me, what I see people do sometimes is immediately say, well, that wouldn't work because of X, Y, and Z. Right. And I don't like that. I don't like it because it's a, because it's unproductive and it wastes time. Cause the truth is we're never, you know, we never find solutions in these, in these feedback right. sessions. What we find is problems and we use proposed solutions to discuss the intention and so for me, what's, what's difficult, but what I've really continued to work at is knowing when it's appropriate to say, I hear you. That's great. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Next. They might be wrong. You know, people often, because they're watching a movie, it's freaking a hundred minutes long. They forget things. People say, I don't, what, what happened mm -hmm. to this? And I'm like, what I want to say, and sometimes I do, if it's helpful is I say, well, actually this character says these, this line at this part in the movie. And they're like, oh right. yeah, I forgot. Sometimes that's appropriate because what I can then do, I think the mature thing that I am trying to teach myself, train myself to do is to say that with the intention of saying it is there, I'll point to right. where it is, but I'm only pointing to where it is because I want you to know, I want to hear if you remember it, like now that I'm jogging your memory can you help me think of why maybe it didn't right. stick and why it feels like a plot hole? And that can turn into an extremely productive conversation. But again, it requires the, the feedback recipient saying, let me defend quote unquote, my position on this, not so that I can win, but so that I can get an even deeper level of criticism. And it sucks, you know? There's an explicit example in there that I was just thinking of when you were saying this. I think you were too. Somebody says, I really wish a character said this. And somebody pointed out, right. 
And they almost yep, quoted yeah. the and line. Somebody word said, for word. and I thought it was appropriate. They were like, well, he does. He says it back in this scene. And they're, oh, okay, the end. But at another point, if somebody says, I don't like this scene, if you tried to justify mm -hmm. it, or here's why it's good, here's why it's important, here's why this and that, yeah, that does seem too far to go because you're not going to convince them to like something that they don't like. Right. Yeah. So I, I get what you're saying. And that was pretty clear in there. I thought that all that stuff was handled just the right way between you and Bryce. I'm not sure of all the other voices, but yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was, it's appropriate and it's a different thing to point yeah. out an error somebody made as opposed to trying to convince them to right. like or dislike them. But again, there are times even where it's like not inappropriate to point out the error, but unproductive. And therefore you're just kind of like, right. okay, we're on different pages. Right. That's fine. Moving on. Not in a dismissive way, but just in like a, well, not everybody's going to like everything. That's another thing I, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm very aware of. Like I, even my favorite movies, I can point to things that yeah. I feel like are a waste, but that doesn't mean everyone else does. And so at the end of the day, I, I even have to filter like, well, yeah, I know you think that scene grinds your gears, but I get written feedback from people right. saying it's their favorite scene. So can I make it more palatable potentially? You know, there's a scene later in the movie that has been in and out of the movie and just fucking flopping everywhere. And it's one of my favorite scenes. It keeps getting killed and then it keeps getting resurrected. Mm. And then I put half of it in, in this version. And... Uh, you know, does it work better from a timing standpoint? Sure. But it also sort of, you know, I cut it after a certain point and it became clear to me that sure it works. The the half version works well if you understand the context, but maybe mm -hmm. the context is important and maybe that is what makes that scene important. And you know what? Maybe if people get a little bit itchy and bored during this version of it, that is partly because there's mm -hmm. no music and because there's no music in the scene before it, whatever, you know, I have to then diagnose not, oh, okay, great, great. You don't like the scene. I cut it. It's why don't you like the scene? And again, it's just, you can't hear that feedback until you are willing to hear it, you know, like, when you have a problem in your life and your wife or your friend says, this is a problem, you are an asshole. If you are willing to hear them say that, mm. that can change your life. And if you're not willing to hear it, it might end right. your relationship. Again, you know, just to, to, to bring it even back to sort of the meta level, I'm at a point in my life where I don't want to live blissfully ignorant. I want to live the real life. I want to live the real version of everything. And I want to professionally, I want to make stuff that, because again, that this is, this is why I think in a weird way I'm exhausted and I feel kind of lonely, but I am more excited than I've ever been because I don't. I no longer fear that rollers will be bad because I watched a scoreless rough cut on Sunday and it was watchable. It was semi enjoyable mm -hmm. for me and I've seen it a bunch of times and I talked to the two people who hadn't seen it and they were like, I really like it yeah. period period. I really like it. And what I, what I am trying to do is take that and be like, you know what? That doesn't mean I'm done. What that means is mm -hmm. now I can start having fun. And I'm really trying to take that to heart. I'm really trying to believe that this position of freedom is the best position I can be in because now I'm actually at the point where like, it's, it, it's like a business, you know, there's, I, you know, the businesses that I've run have spent a, a huge amount of time in the red, um, because we have taken massive risks and those risks are expensive and you got to dig your way out of the holes you, you create. Now, what I'm realizing is, man, it just feels, it, it, it it's so different to like start getting to the point where you're, where you're actually mm -hmm. taking home the profit. You get so conditioned to just trying to pay off your student loans or just try to pay off whatever that all of a sudden you hit a little point where you're like, oh, this is what it's for. 
this is what life is about. This is what, for me, I'm finally hitting the point with the movie where I'm like, oh, this is what I, weirdly, this is what I signed up for. Because now every shred of effort that I put into this movie is Mm -hmm. making the movie better. Whereas before, every bit of effort I put in wasn't enough to get me to the point where it was good. And the cumulative effect of sticking that out has now gotten me to the point where if I needed to, I could finish the surgery, sew everything up, and start Mm. the recovery process. It would be fine. It would be a healthy little movie. The score would take it to a whole other level alone. The edit, I can polish up the story exactly the way it is and it would be very watchable it makes sense there are no major plot holes you know it's been two three screenings since anyone has in in, in written feedback or in the feedback session said like this just doesn't Mm -hmm. make sense to me what what we're now getting to is that was happening what we're now getting to the point is i don't care about these characters very much in this particular these two characters Mm -hmm. in this part of the movie i don't care about them very much but again, that assumes that you do care about other characters for a lot of the movie. And that is something that most movies don't accomplish. If I'm going to put my like champion of the movie right. sort of confident hat on. You know, I watch movies that get released. I watched a movie mm. called Pirate Radio last night. And I was like, this movie, it's stylistically, it's great. But this movie is a <laughs> train wreck like i don't know any of these characters names i don't Mm. know anything about them they're just jumping from storyline to storyline it's basically like a 15 episode season of tv crammed into 90 minutes i don't give a shit about anybody i barely know what the plot is but you know what it's still not a miserable experience to watch it that's how a lot of movies are and so the fact that we're at a point where it's like I want to care about these characters or some of the biggest criticism is like, I want not, I need, but I want closure on this particular thing. Or like, I want a little bit more of kind of a cathartic feeling at the ending where I get some more tie-ins to previous things, not in like a fan service way, but like in a genuine, mm. I, you made me care. You actually made me care. That's the most encouraging thing that I took away from this screening and from some of the notes afterwards. You restructured the beginning of the movie. You, the whole first half, plus a little, is working. The ending is working. And now there's this chunk where I feel like I like what I'm seeing, I like what I'm experiencing, but I'm losing the th- emotional thread of caring for a little bit. That happens in so many movies that are still worth watching. But if I can push over that hump and actually take people on a ride that doesn't have a big rough patch in the middle. People will forgive rough patches, especially mm-hmm. with a movie like Rollers. There's music, there's stuff to look at, there's jokes, whatever. People will forgive rough patches. And that's what I mean. Like I can sew this thing up and I can put it out and I can be done. But it, I can say with total complete confidence that it is not at the point where it is even close to as good as it can be and 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 maybe the uh, back to my original point about like this is the point when the changes will become microscopic compared to the previous ones the benefits that i'm gaining though Mm. will become exponential because there's we've talked about this previously in the show but like the difference between the guy who wins the gold medal on the 100 meter dash and the guy who comes in 10th place is a tenth of a second you know what I mean? Or maybe a second tops. But like that 10th guy is so, so close to winning, but he still comes in 10th. And the amount of training and self-sacrifice that it takes just to be in the qualifying races to get into the Olympics is bonkers. But the amount of training and self-sacrifice and, and will that it takes to get from showing up and having a chance of getting into the Olympics versus winning a heat to get into the second round and then winning a heat in that round to get into the finals and then coming in sixth. The difference between that and the guy who shows up at trials and almost makes it to the Olympics is everything. That is everything. And I am like, I don't know where I'm going to land. 
I could end up not even making it to the Olympics. But what I'm not interested in doing, to to your original point about making a mediocre movie, I am not interested in settling for, well, I almost got in. If I almost get in and I Mm -hmm. don't, but I know I tried and I know I gave it my best, fine. That is life. But what I'm not going to do is say, but it's good. Like, it's good. It's already good. And I, and I, and man, dude, I see so many people settle for good in every aspect of their lives. And I think that's what depresses me. Cause there is a part, there's part of me that's like, man, the sacrifices to make rollers great versus good. You know, this movie, I told Kelly, like, it's getting expensive, Mm -hmm. you know, like emotionally. I have other things I want to do with my life. I'm ready to move on. I'm, I'm tired. So it's, you know, the cost is growing, but I'm keeping an eye on the cost. I'm, I'm not giving it anything I'm not willing to give. And I'm taking breaks. Like I haven't Mm -hmm. touched the edit since Sunday. It's Wednesday now. I'm taking care of myself. You know, it's so important for me now more than ever to not give up because if I was going to make a mediocre movie, I should have quit a while ago. I'm two months past the point where I'm willing, where I'm willing to quit because I read this great book. I cannot recommend this book highly enough. You can read it in like an hour and a half. It's called The Dip, D-I-P. The Dip. The Dip by a guy named Seth Godin, famous kind of business blogger and writer. The Dip is an incredible little book, and it's partly incredible because it's so little, because it's so digestible. But his whole concept is that there is, it's never too late to quit, and we need to stop telling people that, that quitting is bad because the reality is that sticking with something that, that is a waste and this is sounding probably like I'm contradicting myself, but the reality is, I, I mean, but I'm going somewhere with it. But mm. sticking with something that you will inevitably quit is the most tragic waste of your life I can possibly imagine. You know, I've talked about yeah. this with, maybe we've talked about it on the show. I have had to fire people. That never gets easy. But right. you know when it's harder? You know when it's really hard to fire people is when you lied to them for a year telling them that they were a valuable part of the company when they weren't, and then you fucking fire them. That's bullshit. Mm-hmm. That's weak, and it's bullshit. And it's, it's, it's like letting people suffer. It's like letting animals suffer. It's like Kelly sees this constantly. It's like l- letting your family members who clearly want to go, they clearly want to die. She sees this literally all like every day. And the family members are too weak to say goodbye to them. And you know who suffers the most because of that? The people that you're theoretically trying to help. It's the sunk cost fallacy. Like, don't throw good money after bad. Leave the casino when you're ahead or when you're down a little or when you're down a lot. But don't fucking stay. Right. (laughs) That's the worst thing you can do. Yeah, don't go to a casino. So his concept is, A, quit, quit, quit. Quit today. If you're going to quit, quit Mm. today, not tomorrow. Mm. Because if you quit today instead of tomorrow... You can start moving on with your life tomorrow. If you're not going to quit, if you're going to stick with it, there is this point. It's an inverted bell curve where like he says, like you make all this progress at first. I, I've been learning guitar. You make all this progress right up front. You're, you go from zero to, you know, the, 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 the progress is 10, zero to 10. You go from zero to four or three like that. Mm. And, and in a way, rollers went from zero to, well, it wasn't like that. It took like two years. Just finishing rollers is its own yeah. accomplishment, as you have pointed out. But it is not a hard enough accomplishment. And this is really the thesis of his book, is the idea that the harder the accomplishment, the harder you push into the painful territory, the longer you sit with the boring incremental increases of skill or endurance the the more you're willing to wake up at 4 a.m on the 50th day to go run and 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 when everybody else quits at day 35 or 36 or 37 when you're still getting up when it's boring and lame that is when you finally start to push into the territory where what he says uh, you start to find outsized benefits And what he says is basically like becoming a doctor is so hard that if you do it, you do get jobs and you do get paid well because there is a demand. It is such a difficult skill to develop. It requires so much schooling and so much risk um, and so much hard work 
that if you just do it at all, you are automatically in a different category professionally. Now, then there are categories within that. And at every point, you have to decide how much you want to be basically the best in the world. And he says it's your job to define your world. Because some people are like, I love my town, so I don't need to compare myself to some guy in New York. And it's very appropriate to not compare yourself to some guy in New York. Because why would you? But what's weird about film is that there's only a couple worlds to, to define. I have defined my world as Hollywood. It's a brutal one to define because it's very exclusive and it's very difficult to break in. If I can get to the point where I not only made a movie, which is already difficult, I it, it, mm. it's difficult enough that even making a decent movie puts you in a position usually to have a second shot there is a certain amount of respect that people have for people who pull together their first movie. Now, if I can make a good movie, that – great. And if I can make an exceptional movie, it just drops – the number of those drops so precipitously that the closer you push towards exceptional, the closer you get to the truly kind of outsized benefits. Because what he, what he really says is like the top – teeny tiny percent we see this and it's it's really sad in a lot of ways the 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 you know two percent i don't know this is a made-up statistic but two percent of the world has 98 percent of the wealth or whatever um there is something true about that in everything like chocolate and vanilla account for like 80 percent of ice cream sales don't fight over the scraps he's like i want to make chocolate personally i'm not interested in like some niche thing like i want to make stuff that everyone likes the only way to do that though is to push through this where i'm at right now is to push through that um because i know you know hopefully a lot of the listeners know how brutal it's been right in you know weeks how yeah exactly (laughs) well we've joked you know we've joked john I don't know if we've joked on the show, but I've joked with you and Bryce that like I see part of my calling with this show as discouraging people from trying this. And and (laughs) that's something Seth Godin talks about a little bit. He's like, you better know what you're getting into. You know, don't go start a business if you're not ready to see it through. Just don't even start. Quit before you start. Right. You know, and I'm telling people, if you are listening to this show and this what I'm doing right now sounds miserable, it is. It fucking sucks. And if it sounds so miserable that you wouldn't be able to handle it, don't even start the process. I'm telling you that not to be discouraging, but I'm trying to be merciful. I'm trying to tell you I am not having an exceptionally difficult experience. I am actually having an exceptionally smooth experience. I can say that with total confidence because I know so many filmmakers. I am having an exceptional exceptionally wonderful experience making a movie. This is not normal. And so if this sounds like something you're not interested in, don't even start the process because you will quit and you will waste a lot of time and money. And I'm telling you that you're probably a smart, intelligent, creative driven person. And you should find the thing that you're willing to endure this bullshit for (laughs) and start that. But don't waste three years chasing something, expecting it to fulfill you. Because like I've said, I'm not getting the hugs. I'm not getting the pats on the back. I'm still a solid nine months to a year away from anyone telling me, like, great job, mm-hmm. you know? Um, if ever, by the way. I mean, this whole thing has purported to be an unvarnished look at this process. And there's highs, there's lows, there's ups and downs. And this is just a real portrait of what this process is like, I think. Yeah. I think it's important. Thanks, man. You're taking a little break, a couple days, and then um, you're going to get back to it. What does that look like? I got to decide, you know, I'm kind of waiting. We we talked about this on air last time, you know. I'm not going to muscle my way through this next phase. I'm past the point where muscle is going to help me. I'm in the point where I got to start, you know, using the force. I got to start trusting the creative process. You know, it's like it's like Luke on the Death Star, you know, he's flying through that trench thing. Mm. You know, at a certain point, 
you you just gotta take your little aimer goggles off and use the force. Um, and I'm just kind of a little bit at that point, you know, I'm not going to solve the problems that I have with logic because the problems that I have are illogical. Mm. You know, if you just listen to the problems being brought up in this feedback session, it isn't, this plot point doesn't make sense. It's, I don't quite care about this character at this point. I don't quite get deeply what is happening i missed the line that you just told me is there that's not a logical rational problem right the line is there i have empirical fucking evidence to show you that it's there i can pull it up it's there five times in some cases but if you don't perceive it and hear it then it doesn't matter and right. so that is i think by definition, kind of an irrational, illogical type of creative problem to solve. And therefore, my approach to those problems cannot be rational or logical in in a pure sense. It has to be the type of solution that got me from the last cut at the end of May to here, which was I took, we talked about this, I took a step back I thought about other things. I rested a little bit and then boom, the, the, the story popped into my head and it made sense. And I, I, then I muscled through the rest of it, you know, like I pushed through to finish that, but there's a certain amount of like, I don't know what the next step is to be a hundred percent honest. I don't have even the slightest idea quite yet how to fix the problems that I have. Um, but I do know that I know, cause this is not chess. What I do know, though, is that I know the story and I understand what's not working. And I know that I have fixed problems that are just as challenging in the past. And I'm just going to do what worked last time, which is to mm -hmm. just wait, you know. At some point, too, you already alluded to this, but at some point you have to let something go you know you can't you'll never be able to address every single criticism or every single concern it's just not possible totally not everybody will be satisfied no matter what totally well I, i'm doing the thing that somebody i live with does where you feel like you're about to get out of a conversation they're like hey great to see you okay great and then the person you're with asks them an in-depth question like oh by the way what do you think about brexit and you have to stay there for another hour and listen to them yak about this. <laughs> but, oh, man. Uh, so maybe we should wrap it up. Let's wrap it. But I don't need to spiel anymore. No, you're not spieling, dude. You gotta you gotta get this stuff out, and you're not spieling. And it's like I said. I mean, this is a you know in the drama of the process of making this film, this is a point we've hit different points. Do we had an entire episode arc about? Am I going to do this? Am I going to make this for this money? Right. I mean, you got to go through each of these steps and look at them. Um, totally. And you have to ask yourself those questions, honestly. You know, like just to recap that that moment again, I cannot I, I, I need to go back and listen to those episodes. I because I think it will be encouraging to me in a weird way because I, I, it's good to remember how far you've come in some cases. But mm -hmm. I I had to actually see rollers die in order to realize that I wanted to save it. And, and I think I had to watch, I, I, I had to, 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 to realize that I could finish rollers to realize that I'm not ready to finish it. You know, this sounds overly dire. I don't think it is, or it may be too heavy, but I don't think it is. I think it's just a real look at the ebb and the flow of this whole process, you know? Right. Anyway, well, we'll leave it there. Mm -hmm.